Hello and welcome back to the Loyal Sun Show. That's at the Loyal Suns on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us there and follow us here for Pittsburgh content you won't want to miss. If you love being undefeated at the Pete against ranked teams and hate Demar Hamlin conspiracies, this is the place for you. The Loyal Sun Show, a safe, sunshiny place for your Pitt Athletics fix. My name is David, and I'm joined, as always, by Squid and Dylan, and we have a great show for you here today. Panther Lair staff writer Jim Hammett is joining us to talk about all things Pitt basketball and football. But first of all, boy, do we have to talk about that game yesterday. That was electric. An absolutely packed house at the Pete. And a game that felt like we weren't going to win for about 38 minutes. And then Jamarius Burton happened. Some goofy Isaiah Wong things happened. Greg Elliott. And at the end of the day, we walked out of the Pete victorious. So that was as good of an atmosphere I think I've seen. The Clemson game was pretty good. Obviously, leaving with a win makes the atmosphere feel a little better. But, uh, yeah, the Pitt fans showed up and showed out, and so did Jamarius Burton and Blake Henson. It was a wild week. The fact that the game yesterday was so crazy kind of makes you forget about how crazy the Wake Forest game also was. That game came down to a potential game-winning three from Wake Forest, so we survived that. Scratched and clawed back into the Miami game. Uh, Another Hail Mary three attempt from almost the same spot, just a little bit further back on Saturday. Uh, But, yeah. Nerve-wracking, exciting, a lot of big shots made both games, so can't ask for a better week for the basketball team. Yeah, Pitt basketball is going to do this to me twice a week. I need to take up, like, jogging or cycling or something, get the heart a little bit healthier so I can, you know, stop uh, feeling like I ran a marathon at the end of every single Pitt games. But, uh, yeah, what a what an absolute roller coaster um, you know, let's talk about the Miami game because it's a little bit fresher. There were certain points of, of that game where I was like, oh, we are going to lose by 25. And then the strangest thing happened where we did not. Uh, you guys were at the game. I had a thing. Um, tell me just about the emotional roller coaster that you experienced. Well, it really felt like Miami was just the better team. They were bigger, more physical. Pitt was having some issues uh, containing Jordan Miller and uh, Omir down low. So it felt like there was a stretch where Miami hit, I think, three threes on back-to-back-to-back possessions, and that was the point. I know I when I looked up and saw 51-40 on the scoreboard during a TV timeout, I was like, yeah, I don't think we're going to win this one. There's just nothing we've done in this game that has any evidence that we're going to be able to get stops and get buckets at the rate we need to. And then we did. It was uh, going into halftime, down five, felt like a win. And then they came out, looked like we might go on a little run. Miami punched us in the mouth with that that barrage of threes. But uh, this pit team, man, is resilient. They just don't. They don't give up when they go down eight. It wasn't a game where Pitt kind of just threw their hands up. It was like, ah, this isn't our day. To the very last, I mean, it basically took every second of that game to to pull ahead and get the win. Yeah. I'll focus on the other side. Miami's defense was tough early on. Like We got off to a pretty good lead, but after the first 
media timeout. They really locked down. They were giving our guards trouble, and we were not getting very good looks. They were kind of the aggressors. And it was easy to say, like, well, Pitt's coming off an emotional win. They set the program record for threes. This could be a letdown game coming off of that emotional high. But I do this thing during games whenever I get mad where I say, oh, oh that's the game. We lost. And How many times did you say it yesterday? I, I think two, both in the second half. I think whenever Isaiah Wong hit that three to answer one of our threes to put it back up to like a 10-point game, maybe 11, I was like, well, if they're going to make that. I was getting flashbacks of Darren Green from the Florida State game when he started getting yeah. those jumpers down the down the stretch. Yeah, you know, Squid, I do that during every single pit football game, and that's why you guys stopped sitting with me. So kind of a I don't know, that does something doesn't feel right about that. But no, there were absolutely points where I I thought, yeah, this is not happening. Miami, like you said, so good defensively, and Pitt is good for like ten to fifteen standard issue. Uh, why the hell did he shoot that contested three per game? And uh, Miami, Miami is not the team to do that against. So they kind of cleaned that up in the second half, though. They cleaned a I lot mean, of stuff up in the second half. Can any of us believe that we were down by eleven? With oh, we went on eleven zero run last two minutes seventeen seconds. Like I didn't register. Until this morning, I'm like, yeah, I knew we were down, but damn, we really locked it up. Yeah, I mean, I keep going back to that little baby run, that 8-2 to two run in the last minute 40 of the first half, where I, I think things could have been really ugly going into half. Um, and then it was, I think, Hinson hit that uh, that three going into the break to pull us within five. Um God knows where we would have been in the second half if we didn't have the baby run. Um, but then we found ourselves down again by 11 in the last week. So I guess the narrative is is Pitt was closing out halves yesterday uh, and and really a heroic effort to claw back at multiple stages of the game. Yeah, I think what Greg Elliott did can sum up this Pitt team. <laughs> he yep. had a good game by all accounts. Uh and then he had that one big turnover. We thought that we had such a great defensive possession, get the ball back, can't inbound it. What does he do the next play? Steals it. What does he do after that? Makes two big free throws. He was unfazed by the the fuck up, and he made up for it big time. That's just kind of how Pitt is. They, they get punched in the face, but they ain't done. Yeah, I was I was kind of ready to come on here today and after Greg Elliott gave the ball away when we had it almost locked up, um, I was getting ready to do the whole like, oh, you, you got a feel for the kid. You know, I can't imagine the way he's feeling right. You know, because it's that's the college version of if it was a pro athlete, we'd be coming on here and being like, you dumbass. Um, but no, I I, I felt very sympathetic for him. And then what does he do coming out of the timeout? Uh, you know, strips the ball under, under the hoop, keeps himself collected. Uh, and, and there will be, you know, no lamenting Greg Elliott's mistakes today because God, if he, if he did not make up for them immediately and tenfold. Yeah, it was 
just an absolutely huge play to make that strip um, and answer. Can we figure out the inbound thing, though? Like, this is insane. Figure how it how out. much of an issue this has been this year. Figure it out. It's It feels like it should be, like, <laughs> this at no level of basketball should be this big of a problem. I understand, like, tough spot. Miami's going to be all over you put a big guy on the inbounder. It wasn't off a made basket, so he couldn't move, run the baseline, but just figure it out. Fit fell. Capable. Let's get something put together. I would almost, I know you want Jamarius Burton to be the ball handler. He's the shorthanded guy. He's a poised leader. He'll hit the free throws for you. I think I would use Jamarius Burton as the inbounder moving forward because Elliot and Nellie Cummings can both shoot uh, very consistent from the line. We need someone who is going to figure it out and get the ball inbounds and not throw it away. Yeah, that's been uh, way too consistent a thread this year. They need to run that inbounds play uh, where you have, you know, the inbounder and then the four other guys line up like wide receivers and then just run like, like crossing and post routes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that'll do it. But like, Take ball, throw to teammate. Or you could just make one cut and hit the guy in the hands. Something. Dude, that's enough bitching. Don't that's enough it bitching. at your feet. I'm done bitching about a win over a ranked team at the Pete. I just, I, I would like, I would appreciate if they clean that up. Please inbound the ball. We, we got a request to print that t shirt. Yeah. Uh, so we we talk uh, about the game um, a lot with Jim upcoming. Is is there anything, any other loose ends we need to tie up from Wake Forest or uh, the game yesterday? I'm going to keep saying it. Jamarius Burton for ACC Player of the Year. He's been unreal. Even when he's not scoring, like the Wake Forest game, he finished with six points, still had nine assists, still creating shots, a bun- bunch of big shots for Blake Henson. Uh, Blake Henson seems like he's coming on. I mean, he's had a good good year to this point, but the last two games he's really just shot the heck out of the ball. So, um, but yeah, Jamarius Burton, 19, 10, and seven yesterday, ACC Player of the Year. They're going to give it to Baycott or someone, but I'm going to keep uh, pounding that drum. Him ripping that ball off of Wong yesterday, two Titans going at it as the clock is winding down, it had to be so poetic, a microcosm for, you know, the way those two had been going back and forth all day. Just that thing of beauty. He's a dog. It's not much of a secret that I have a home field apparel problem. Even before we started this show, I couldn't even step foot on a new college campus without making sure there was something from that school's home field collection waiting on my porch when I got home. So we are, understandably, over the moon to partner with home field this season to keep Pitt fans comfy, cozy, and stylish at a fraction of the price by using promo code LOYALSONS for 15% off your next order. This discount applies site-wide and with unique vintage collections for every school from Pitt to Bama, Jackson State to Colgate, Michigan, Marshall, Marquette, and both Miamis. There's something for every fan. 
So whether you're buying for a pit fan or for a loser freak, use promo code LOYALSONS at homefieldapparel.com to save big on your next order. Each code applies once per email address, so get those work emails and burners ready. That's homefieldapparel.com. Please welcome on to the Loyal Sun Show, staff writer for the Panther Lair, Jim Hammett. Jim, how you doing today? I'm doing great. I've uh, I've been looking forward to this all week, and uh, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. As of we, yeah. So are are you in as good of a mood as we are right now, um, riding high after that pit win? Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not really supposed to like root for Pitt or anything, but I, I root for them in the sense that my message boards won't be a mess as long as Pitt keeps winning. So like, I, like it's good for business if, if Pitt wins. So uh, the message boards are uh, are content for a couple hours. So that, that makes an easy day for me. Well, it is true that when morale is high, the boards are at their best. But even after the wins, people are pretty upset. Uh, I, I think after last night, though. Everyone's feeling pretty good. No complaints. Fewer complaints. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we we find a way to still make them a mess um, <laughs> regardless. I know we had a lot of people tweeting at us that Pitt shoots too many threes after they set a program record for made threes against Wake Forest. And if that doesn't sum up the um, the neuroses of pit fans to complain about a thing that they just did well enough to set a record after a huge win. I, I mean, it, it's a, it's a beautiful symbol for who we are. Yeah. And the thing with that, it was like, they shot 50%. So yeah, they made like 18 threes, but like, it was good. Like, that's what you want to shoot. Yeah, that's that's pretty ideal. Um, so let's let's talk about the game yesterday. Uh, Pitt very much looked, I don't want to say out of it at certain points, but there were the makings of an ass beating at various points in both the first and second half. How do you think they were able to stick around and eventually pull ahead at the most critical moments? You know, and when he talked to like Jeff Capel this year and like one of the phrases he's been using a lot is like this team is just consumed with winning. And I, I really kind of think that's a real thing. And, you know, with the crowd yesterday, I really think they just kind of like fed off the energy. But, you know, I was I rewatched the game today and the, like the thing that stuck out to me is like during that like 11-0 run to end the game, it's like four different guys made a shot. Burton was coming down with rebounds and steals. So it's really a team effort. And like there's been times this season where, you know, Burton's been the guy or Henson's been the guy. So, like, they just have a lot of guys that, like, if they need a play, they can get it. And they just don't have to rely on one person. So I think that's kind of the best quality of this team this year. Do you, do you get the sense that Jeff Cable's having a little bit more fun this year? I know in the past it seemed – and obviously losing is not very fun, but it seems like he's had some teams where even they had talented guys, it was like – it felt like it was kind of pulling teeth with with coaching them and the different personalities and everything. Do you get the sense that Capel's maybe having a little more fun with this group? Um, you know, he always like all season long. He's just said they they like playing for each other. They like being around each other. And I mean, as we saw like the past couple of seasons, like when it goes wrong, there was always a lot of finger pointing. There was always a lot of like, oh, you hear this? You know, they didn't get along off the court and just stuff like that. So, I mean, I really do think this team is pretty well connected. 
And it's a very unique thing because, you know, when you start five transfers, you have people coming from different backgrounds. Uh, I mean, there, there's no, like, it's like, this is how we do things at Pitt. They had to, like, reinvent the entire culture this year. And it's really amazing how they did it. And I do get the sense that, yeah, I mean, of course, winning's better. I mean, I, I, I've sat through some Jeff Cable uh, sad press conferences after some losses the past couple of years. So it, it's definitely, he's more upbeat. And it's, it's like, I don't know how you couldn't be, I guess. So do you think uh, it makes it a little bit harder for him to establish a culture with all these transfers? Or do you think bringing in all these older guys who have won games and who are mature and able to get along with each other is going to be able to set up the pit program long term? Because I think that's what we all want right now. We want to return to what we were in the early 2000s. How is he going to be able to do that with this team as like yeah. a benchmark? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And, like, I know he hasn't played much or hasn't contributed much, but, like, John Hughley, like, had a big part in all of this. Like, because if you remember last offseason, like, they had to get seven guys. Like, it was a complete start over. But I, I just remember, like, he was involved in the recruiting process. Like, Capel even said, like, he was giving them, like, when he would see someone, like, at the transfer portal, he'd give them, like, a list of names. So, like, he had a big part of that. So, like, I think having him and I think Burton, they were kind of, like, two strong, like, culture guys. And I, I think even Will Jeffress is kind of the same thing. So I think there was a good core in place. But whenever you recruit graduate transfers, you obviously want guys that have won before or, you know, kind of bring those qualities. And you look at, like, Nelly Cummings, like, he, his team made the tournament, like, two or three years in a row. He's won conference championships before. So when you bring in a point guard like that, it, that was definitely by design. Yeah, he's a good player, but also he's a good leader. So I think it just kind of – everything just kind of about it, like all the buttons they pressed this year kind of worked. And, you know, they, I think they kind of just needed to catch a break uh, with some of these, you know, at a certain point. <laughs> the forces of the universe absolutely owe to pit basketball. Yeah, and it's kind of wild. You wouldn't expect this many transfers to come in and all click pretty well. There's – no weak links out of the guys they got. Everyone who plays, everyone they got is a contributor, and they all seem to be uh, connected off the court, or at least they get along and aren't fighting each other. So the fact that we got this many new faces in one year and it's all working is very impressive because that's not as easy as I think many Pitt fans think. No, and it definitely isn't. And like just college basketball in general, is it, it's like – yeah, you can build a program, but every year you're kind of looking at the transfer portal. The game's really changed in the past five years, so you're going to have this from year to year. I mean, yeah, you're still going to want to live off of high school recruits. You still want to do that, but at the same Ooh. time, you can see how quickly you can change a team, and even just teams this week, like Miami has transfers, Wake Forest has transfers. It's just kind of how you have to do it now, and it's, you know, can you make your transfers fit into what you're trying to do? And obviously this year, that's exactly what Cable did. Yeah, I think that this obviously has been Cable's best coaching job. And you always have these fans who watch the games and like they don't run anything. They're they're just five, spread it out, let Burton beat the guy off the dribble, high ball screen. But I really think with the team that Cable's put together, um, I feel like he's just kind of figured out what works. I mean, they don't have a post presence like a John Hughley that you would run through the post. So let your senior leader guards and Jamarius Burton and Nellie Cummings just go to work, let them create offense, put 
you have Henson and Elliott in the corners as shooters. And um, I think, I don't know what you guys think when you watch the games, but I think this is the only way this pit team could really play and be really effective is by putting the ball in Burton's hands for the last 10 minutes of the game. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a credit to Jeff Cable by just putting the trust in, in these senior guards hands and uh, letting them run with it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't, like you said, I don't know how you could play any other way. Like, like there's been like a couple of times like recently, like, like, hey, Jeff, have you gotten the ball to Federico enough? Like, of course they have. Like, he, he's not someone you're going to, like, post up with. I mean, like, he's a guy that's just – he's big and you need him to rebound and do what he does. So, I mean, they're playing, like, a four-out style, but that's that's what they have. That's kind of what they are. This might be crazy, but I'm going to give Jeff Capel credit for adapting to what he has. I think he does that really well each year, even if they aren't good. He, he knows, like, this is how we're going to have to win games. Like, last year – it was giving John Hughley the ball in the post 25 times a game. It's unconventional. It's not very sustainable, but that was our best shot, and they did it. This year, it's spread them out. We have these shooters finally. So I think they found a good thing. So huge week for for Pitt basketball. Two massive wins that they absolutely had to have. Uh, Jim, how has this week changed your outlook on the remainder of the season for pit basketball you know what is it what does it mean for their tournament chances their acc chances uh and, and you know the future of pit basketball yeah i i think i mean obviously they, they collected like miami's going to be one of their two or three best wins all year so that that's huge but you know looking at the remainder of the schedule is is like it's very unique because there's more chances for bad losses than there are for good wins right now i mean you have carolina you have miami then you have seven games against teams that aren't going to make the tournament so at that point and you know when you look at Pitt right now and the computers like they're down like the computers don't like Pitt I think they're 62nd in the net Mm. rankings right now and it's like when you look at like some comparable teams it's like they have better quad one wins but like that that loss to Florida State like really hurts them and uh so that that's why the rest of the season so unique because they should go seven and two maybe like around that but like if they lose one of those games if they they have an off night against Florida State again or Boston College something like that like that that could really hurt them and uh, you know I go back to last year I think Wake Forest was 22 and nine in the regular season and they didn't make the tournament so that's kind of like been in the back of my mind it's like all right the computers don't love Pitt and they don't have a lot of chances for great wins so it's going to be very interesting here uh these next nine games yeah, I feel like, in my mind, a team from the ACC with single-digit losses should get in the tournament. And then I think of Wake Forest last year, and I think of that everyone around college basketball seems to be down on the ACC. You know, the ACC is down. They're not what they used to be. The UNC and Duke aren't what people expected them to be. So I feel like there is kind of this – I've seen brackets with seven ACC teams in, and then I've seen people say, you know, that they might be – a five bid league so it could be um part of me is like we need to just root for the teams we've beat already so those wins are really good wins and hopefully florida state can salvage some of the season although they're seven and 15 so there's not much to salvage but it feels like uh we have to maybe get some help from our acc counterparts at at some point but now they're all beating each other obligatory uh big 10 jab right here 
the Big Ten has one ranked team. They've been the big dog the last couple of years. They got Purdue, and that's it right now. So here comes the ACC back to claim uh, the number one spot. No, not the number one spot, <laughs> but we're climbing up there. We're back to claim a yeah. spot. Yeah, and I, I think something we talked about, you mentioned it there, Jim. Uh, there's not a lot of quality win opportunities left. So really good that we got a few in our back pocket already. Yeah, for sure. And like, even though we, we, we just made the big 10 jab, but like Northwestern, that, that win's actually kind of good for them and they've actually played well. So like, that's kind of like another team pit fans to like, cause they, they don't matter in like the grand scheme of things like to pit fans. So like, you might as well like root for them to win the big 10 at this point. Yeah. Like we always <laughs> say the big 10 sucks, except for specifically Northwestern. We've been <laughs> saying it for years. Everyone knows that. Yeah, everyone knows. Uh, so what do you think needs to happen the rest of the way for, one, Pitt to make the tournament, but also if Pitt is, two going to make a splash in the tournament? I, I mean, I think six and three down the stretch, five and four probably gets them in the tournament. And, you know, maybe they have to win one in Greensboro. Um, I mean, if they – I mean – you look at the schedule. If they go eight and one here, I mean, I, I think they, they get away from that like 10, 11 seed. And, you know, now you're talking about maybe a six seed, something like that. So mm. it, it would be interesting to see because they haven't really had success in the ACC tournament because they're always on the first day. They're always gone by Tuesday night. So it's been a few years. I think the first year Pitt was in the ACC, they made like a little bit of a run. Uh, I want to say like they beat North Carolina, then lost for Virginia. So I mean, it, 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 and whenever you kind of like compare like Pitt and like their best years in the ACC, it was their very first year and probably this year. So what, I guess another way to ask it would be, what does this team need to figure out and start doing better if we want a little bit of excitement come, you know, NCAA tournament time, you know, maybe a, maybe a, a sweet 16, dare I say, you know, what, what would Pitt need to fix for such a result? I don't know if it would need to fix. I think it would just be maintain this level of shooting right now, which is a hard ask, but I mean, in the tournament, it always comes down to, can you score? And that's like all those years, like Pitt was in the tournament, they were got bounced early because they didn't have a go-to score. They were like a defensive built team. And even for so many years, Virginia was the same way. It's like, they didn't have that one go-to guy. And I think it's, it's fortunate for them this year is that they have multiple guys and like, I think when push comes to shove, Burton or Henson can kind of be that that catalyst that, you know, you need a bucket and, you know, at the under eight timeout in an NCAA tournament game. I think you can run stuff for them and I think they can deliver. So that's kind of a, a, a good spot of, you know, where Pitt is right now. Uh, that, you know, it's it's a more offensive minded Pitt team uh, than many I can remember. Yeah, I, we see it all the time, teams that make surprising runs uh in the tournament always have that one guy that is a guy that can completely take over games and and make clutch shots and and be really reliable and i i think that burton can be that guy and i i think if i pulled the room you know the majority would say burton can be that guy as well yeah i mean yesterday henson was a leading scorer I just rewatched the highlights. I forgot how many big threes he made in the second half when we thought we were down and out, but a Burton three kept us afloat. But Jamarius Burton had 19, 10, and 7 and three steals. That is 
I don't care what level you're playing at. That is ridiculous. And Pitt hasn't had a guy like that in a long time that can just control a game like the way he can do it. I mean, like, would you like, like, I've been trying to think of like how, who I would compare him to. And like, he's kind of like Lamar Patterson, but not quite the three point shooter, but he's kind of that like wing that can, you can run stuff through. And like, the, he's kind of like a blend of like Brad Wanamaker and uh, Lamar Patterson. So just kind of like one of those things, but yeah, he, like you said, I mean, 10 rebounds, like nine, like he's been like having crazy assist games lately. They can run everything through him. So even down the stretch, he didn't have one of those buckets. Like his hands were still all over that win. We actually posed this question on Twitter the other day. I wanted to see what you think, Jim. I said Jamarius Burton is the best pick guard since blank. So I don't, I had a lot of names thrown out. Some people were mentioning uh, Wanamaker. Someone said Xavier Johnson. I think Burton's a good bit better than Xavier Johnson was here. But who do you think? Uh, well, where would you put Burton in the rank of? of these pick guards. I mean, definitely the best since the, of the Capel era, but maybe even since the, the big East days. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I guess like, cause you would probably call like Lamar Patterson a wing. So as a, a straight up guard, I, I, I think you would have to go Wanamaker and that's what the 2011 team. So, you know, best guard of the past decade. That's high praise. So it sounds like we're all on the same team here. Hit fans, book your tickets to Houston. <laughs> this team's this team's doing the damn thing. Um, but we we also want to talk a little bit about football with you because a lot of exciting things happening around the Pitt football program uh, between recruitment, the transfer portal, and uh, the Pitt athletic department finally getting on board with uh, people giving them money for NIL or I'm sorry, Alliance four one two money because you can't do it directly i actually don't know the rules i don't think anyone does um so i i wanted to ask you what what is your general outlook right now on pit football going into the spring are we happy with what we have gotten from the transfer portal uh are there a couple more things um you know extraneous pieces that you think that they need to be looking for uh what what is the vibes I think they did pretty well in the transfer portal and just the way they ended the season and, you know, beating UCLA. And I, I, I'm a little bullish on the team because you have what the four starters back on the line, you know, the defensive line is going to be good. Uh, I, I mean, I think they're just solid across the board. I think like the one thing they're kind of missing is like, I don't know who their go-to like playmaker is on offense. Like I think Rodney Hammond's pretty good. I think Bub means and like Mumfield aren't as bad as like some, you know, they, they get, labeled a little bit but they don't have like that one like Izzy they don't have Jordan Addison they don't have like that one guy you can rely on and I think that really does make a difference so that's kind of like the one thing and at this point you're not going to find it like you're not going to like find a dude in the transfer portal that's like an elite playmaker so I think what they did last year around this time actually even later yeah that was pretty late actually if I recall the last day yeah, like a couple hours before. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's kind of like the thing right now. Is like I think they're solid across the board. I think they're good, at, uh, like up front, like how they have been. It's just like I, I just don't know who that like one dude is on offense that's gonna like kind of carry them. So then, who do you think of the transfers we picked up? And let's leave Jerkovic, Jerkovic. Let's leave Phil out of it. Um, who do you think is the most impact 
transfer we've received thus far. I think Donovan McMillan's going to play a lot because you have both starting safeties out. And, uh, you know, none of the guys, like, kind of returning or, like, obvious candidates to start. I thought J- Javon McIntyre came on uh, pretty strong at the end. But I think yeah. – uh, I, I really think McMillan can step right in and be a starter or at least, like, play a lot even in the nickel. He, he just – he was he was solid for Florida. I mean, he, he played uh, every game of his career. He didn't redshirt or anything. So he's part of the team. I think he was just looking for a bigger role. And I think, like, he kind of fits into what Pitt does defensively. So I, I really expect him to come in and be a starter. Yeah, hopefully he can step in and just start, be a full-time starter in one of those spots. But I think at the very least, McMillan will be kind of like a young Eric Hallett, where he's on the field a lot, even though he's not a starter, maybe in different spots, corner, slot, safety, depending on all that. So I think that's a big addition. I think that's also our most impactful. What of what of the incoming recruits? Do you see anyone in that group uh, from the class of twenty twenty three that can make an instant impact? Um, like it's it's hard because I I do think their best recruit is Jordan Bass. Like I think he's like yeah. a, he's a stud. Like I think he he fits into their defensive scheme. He was like the best high school football player in Virginia this year. So do I. I've never really known a pit freshman linebacker to come in and play right away. That's kind of one of those spots that they do rotate a lot. I think they usually play six linebackers, but I mean, I, I think after a redshirt season, like he'll, he'll be on the field right away. So I don't know if there's necessarily, because the, the spots they recruit well are defense and Pitt's usually pretty good on defense. So it's just kind of hard for freshmen to crack the lineup. Right. Time, Jim, why is Jordan Bass only a three-star on rivals? What's going on there? <laughs> See, you know, you're bringing the message boards to life here. I mean, that is, <laughs> yeah, that that has been a, a question for a long time. I don't know. I mean, he's he's like a top 100 guy on on three, I think, and two four seven has him pretty high. ESPN has him pretty high. So I don't know why Rivals is lagging behind. Uh, they can only ask Chris uh, and I for you know recommendations, and we can only give them. We do not give the stars. How do you feel the like dozen times a day when you see the um, rivals shills for big programs conspiracy on the board? Do you just kind of sit there like, fuck did I do? I'm, I'm just, <laughs> can we, can we be cool guys? Uh, Cause there's a lot of people who come at your employer and say that they're only going to give someone an extra star or a couple extra points if they uh, have offers from mm-hmm. Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, and Michigan. I mean, I, I don't know, like, I don't know how to take it. Cause like, there's so many recruits out there. there it's, it's an, it's an incredibly tough process. I don't envy the guys that have to make the stars. I mean, I'm sure you want to keep all 130 teams happy with their recruits, but it's impossible to do that. So there's not much I can do about it. I mean, it's, it's funny whenever people get mad and Chris and I, I'm like, guys, we, we really have nothing to do with it at all. Which I'm is right about the Panthers. Somebody on Panther Lair with like a corkboard and string in their basement. And it, within the next year or two, they'll come out and say, like, I've uncovered this anti-pit bias. It stems back to this founder and this guy hates Pitt because he didn't get in there. And his ex-girlfriend went to Pitt, something like that. And then she broke his heart and everything. Yeah. It's the, it's the Charlie Kelly meme, like in real life. Mm-hmm. Like some, someone's <laughs> figuring this out. So do you, I'm I'm not asking you if you think that Rivals is like 
you know, getting a bag from Ohio State to bump up their recruiting class or something. Um, but do you think that there is some sort of correlation that, you know, they're grinding tape and they're kind of on the cusp between two ratings for a kid? And, well, if Ohio State and Notre Dame see something in him, that must mean, you know, these guys know what they're doing. So, you know, and, and they use that to, to benefit a, a player. Yeah, I definitely think like sometimes if, if if you're close on a prospect or you're not 100%, you're going to look at the offer sheet. I mean, that's what everyone else does. Like anytime someone from like anytime pickets recruit, the first thing everyone does is like, okay, so they picked him over Kentucky, Michigan State, blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I do think there is some value in, in looking at that. Um, I don't know if that's the end all be all in terms of evaluating prospects, but it's it's definitely it's a factor. It's just kind of, I find it a little bit funny because, uh, you know, Pitt's most recent recruiting class in 2023, there were some people who kind of poo-pooed it, myself included, because it was mostly three stars. And I think we were instructed, or, or, you know, smart Pitt fans, smarter than me, looked at all the offers and were like, no, these guys are three stars, sure. But look at the schools that were beating out for some of these kids. And then Pitt fans then turn around and complain and say like, oh, Rivals is just judging these kids because of their offers when we are doing the same thing to, you know, justify that Pitt is recruiting better progressively. Yeah, there's definitely some of that. And, like, at the end, like, I I don't know if you guys, like, followed it, like, that closely, but there was, like, a couple weeks there. It's like, all right, uh, some school's looking at Jordan Bass. Some school's looking at Shadarian Harrison. Like, there there is, like, that, like, last push at the end. And so, like, that tells me something yeah. like if a school's coming at one of Pitt's recruits at the very end, they think he's pretty good. So I, I, I do think, yeah, you, you know, you don't want to like have to deal with those headaches at the end of a recruiting class. But at the same time, I think that's kind of also a sign you recruited well. Yeah. I love whenever everyone says, Oh, this guy's only like a 5.5 three star. And then two weeks later, he's on a visit to like Mississippi. He's like, Oh, he's too good for Pitt now darn we're screwed without him it's like well you, you said he sucked like two weeks ago and then this random coach across the country throws him an offer now he's good is that how it works oh it works uh sometimes the, the life of a message board is an interesting place oh we we know we're 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 way too on Panther um and it definitely rots your brain a little bit uh how how do you deal with constant message boards are like naturally terrible places even when it's focused on something as cool and fun as pit football um how do you kind of separate that because there's some crazy stuff on Panther. people say some some things how do you kind of touch grass metaphorically speaking when you need to usually after a loss i let everyone go. Like, I don't say, <laughs> like, I don't say anything because nobody wants to hear anything I have to say. Like if I bring, if I try to bring reason into it, I, I get yelled down. So usually on Sundays, like I, I, I watch the NFL. I kind of let the message board do its thing. Then so like, you almost like kind of need just like a break from like constantly checking your phone. So Sundays is kind of like my day where like, I'm not as involved. I, I watch, I watch football. Then, you know, like 7 a.m. Monday morning, it's, it's back to it. But like, I, I kind of like, I give the message board like 24 hours just to say what it's going to say. Then I'll read it on Monday and be really glad I wasn't reading it all weekend. We should follow that uh, mold. 
because we we're definitely doom scrolling on Sunday <laughs> mornings, feeling sorry for ourselves because Pitt lost to Georgia Tech. It, the the Sunday uh, just refresh it, it it'll do you wonders. Trust me. What's the worst day? Like post loss day? Like which? What do you, what loss do you think was the worst in terms of message board freakouts? Western Michigan. That that was that was not a good day, and that was uh, and that was one of those like I you know everyone always like you know accuses me of being Mister Positivity, but like after that game, I was like. I don't know. I like the ACC stinks. Like this offense is pretty good. Like they'll probably figure it out. And again, that's one of those, I get shouted down. You're wrong. They lost to Western Michigan. They can't stop anyone. Then what do they do? They win nine out of 10 to close out the year or something. So it's like, I don't know, like, but Western Michigan was probably one of the darkest days I can remember football wise, basketball wise. I'll never. And in general and in general in our lives. It, 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 some people took that one rough, but uh, honestly, uh, I'll tell you the, the the worst message board day, and it was before I even started working there. It was Easter Sunday, and it was whenever Kevin Stallings' name got like started <laughs> floating around. There was like inconsolable people. Like it was like Easter. Like you should be eating dinner with your family or something, and like people were like just like writing paragraphs and paragraphs. Like I can't believe Kevin Stallings is going to be the next coach at Pitt, and. I, I think I think Chris or Matt Steinberg they are just they they confirmed they're like yeah like this is actually going down and that was that was a dark day for sure. Yeah, I remember all right. Like, <laughs> everyone was right. They were right. They were right to ruin the Easter dinner. I admittedly didn't know much about Kevin Stallings. I knew Vanderbilt had like a little bit of tournament success, so I was like, that's interesting. But Panther taught me that it was a bad hire, and boy, were they right. Yeah, that that like of any day I can think of on Panther Larry, that was just an absolute meltdown, and it didn't even relate to a game. It, it was that day. In a weird way, was that the most united that the board has ever been? There was like no arguing; everyone was just in agreement that this is a terrible thing that's happening. Yeah, I don't remember any more. I don't remember anyone. Thing. What's your favorite uh, off-topic thread ever? Because there's some there's some weird ones that pop up. Hmm. That's I don't even know about that. I, I, there was like a debate like a couple years ago, and it, like one of my friends was like involved in it. And it, it, it they got on the topic of would you rather have Barry Sanders or Jerome Bettis? And like everyone was like, of course Barry Sanders. But there was this guy that was just like, no, it's Jerome Bettis. He'll get the yards in front of him, and like just like pure like Ginzer spirit, which I can appreciate. Could you could you imagine if Barry Sanders was a Pittsburgh Steelers running back though? How many, like every every Sunday, 30 different times, 300,000 people would be screaming, run forward in unison. Like we would not be able to handle his running style. That's no, like that's what like, so like the person was right, like in the sense that like, you know what, a Steelers fan probably would want Jerome Bettis, even though Barry Sanders is much better. But that that was a fun topic for sure. Yeah, there's some there's some pretty wild stuff uh, on there. I'm actually um, glad Demar Hamlin is a is a pit grad, and that we have a sense of like, you know, ownership, and and we're very committed to him because we we seem like the fan base that would have been hook, line, and sinker for all the clone conspiracies. Yeah, Had he if he wasn't like our guy. 
Yeah, you know, we used to have a thing like on our message boards. It, it, it went away. It was called the locker room. Uh, like it was like different from like the football board, and that was like the wild west. Anything could go, and at there's a reason it's not around anymore. But yeah, that it would have it would have been a lively topic for sure. Yeah, but he put out that uh that video yesterday of like very much him, and and so all that conspiracy went to bed. Uh, I like to think that every time a new dumb conspiracy gets resolved jfk's real killers pop champagne like the 72 dolphins so <laughs> so tough day for conspiracy theorists for sure but not exactly letting it go to bed either i, I saw some this is deep fake uh ai work on, on the video but we'll let that go i touched enough on that but i'm just saying they're not exactly willing to take the loss just yet How do you transition off of off of Damar Hamlin uh, being cloned to help the NFL, you know, cover up its malpractice? Uh, back to football, I guess. Um, so, do you think that Jerkovic represents a stark improvement over Keaton Slovis? I, I think that's a great transition. I, I great tra- sometimes <laughs> you, you can't you can't try to be clever. It's just all right. Now it's time to stop talking about um, a clone based conspiracy theory. Will Dracovic be a Slovis clone for Pitt? <laughs> oh, that's good. That's I, good. Yeah, we'll edit around that. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think that would be a good thing. No, but I I, I do think he fits the offense better. I mean, like like his best year was in twenty twenty with Signetti. So I think there's. Like when you watched Slovis this year, there was just so many, like he was so mechanical about everything. And he was like, you could tell he was like thinking and it, he just didn't process it fast for whatever reason. I, you know, it's, it's not easy to like switch offenses and do a completely different thing. So I think Dracovic, you can kind of just hit the ground running. So I, I, I think there will be improvement in that sense, but uh, it, I'm still like a little skeptical of him. Like, I, I don't know if he's going to be like, yeah. he, he, he you're taking Boston College's quarterback, and they weren't a good team last year. So, like, yeah, like, you need the – you really have to hope, like, the connection works because, like, in a vacuum, like, if you just say, okay, they just took the 12th – the quarterback from the 12th place team in the league, that's not exactly uh, inspiring. But I, I guess the whole Pittsburgh connection, Signetti connection, I think everyone's kind of at least thinking positive about it. Yeah, it's kind of funny that everyone's on board for taking a – a quarterback that was below 500 injury prone, another transfer. It's like, yeah, this is like a sort of similar situation to Slovis, but you know what? He, he's a Yenzer. He'll be all right. I think of one thing we've, we've learned not to assume that whatever guy that we get from the portal is going to be the next Kenny Pickett, because we, we were a little bit too high on Keaton Slovis, a guy who, visibly declined year over year for three years. So I, I think if anything, we're at least going to go into this season with tempered expectations with Dracovic. However, I do think that Sun Bowl showed us what this offense can look like with a quarterback that can run a sub like five and a half second 40. Yeah, there's no doubt like Dracovic's more built for this offense and he's run the offense. So I, I, I think on that that end, it should just, like I said, it's just going to be like a, a seamless transition. Like 
He knows what's going on. And, you know, at least most of the, like, Hammond, Mumfield, Bartholomew, like, they all ran it last year. So I think just in general, there's always a natural progression from an offensive coordinator in his second year. And I, I think we should see that a little bit, if nothing else. Just And I, even if it's not great quarterback play, I think just the continuity factor, I think it will just be mm-hmm. a little bit better. So we're, we're getting Dracovic back where many of us feel he should have started his college career. Uh, however, he dropped that hot bar at the press conference this week about how all Whippeal kids should come to Pitt. What was what was your initial reaction when you heard that coming from Phil Dracovic's mouth? Um, and and do you agree with him? It was interesting because coming from him, it does. You know, I can see how people might have been rubbed the wrong way because he's like the classic like went to Notre Dame kind of stuffed it immediately. But I, I think there was like some kind of like life lessons behind it. It's like, you know, I, I thought in my head I needed to get out of Pittsburgh. I thought there was bigger programs out there. And then like, you know, I like in the press conference, I started talking to him about it and he was just saying like everything you need in a college football program is right at Pitt, like all the, all the facilities, everything. And so I thought that was interesting. And it, like one of the interesting things about it was he said during the recruiting process, like sometimes like rival schools or some of the other schools recruiting them, they would paint Pitt sharing a facility with the Steelers as a bad thing. It's like, oh, they're small time. They have to share it with the NFL team. They don't have their own thing. But like me, someone that covers recruiting and talks to thousands of recruits each year, that's the first thing they say about Pitt is like how cool it is. So it's interesting, like how teams, you know, every team recruits against another team negatively in one way whether it's on the field or facilities or coaching. So, I mean, I, again, it's, it's weird that that was painted as a negative against Pitt because from my experience, from all the recruits I've ever talked to, it's always been portrayed as a positive. Yeah, Jim, I wanted to ask a little bit about that because I do feel like with the recruits from out of state, like there's all these pieces of um, like recruiting – sharing the facility with the Steelers, sharing a field with the Steelers, playing in an NFL stadium. I feel like for local kids, and this might just be my personal experience, but being from Pittsburgh, growing up a Pitt fan, it's always like, oh, they, they need an on-campus stadium. They play in a stadium where there's a bunch of empty yellow seats. But then you hear these recruits and the recruits are like, oh, I got the, I'll get to play on the same field the Steelers play on. So it's like, do you think there's a piece of that for the local kids who they've always heard the, the knocks on Pitt? And then when, a kid from let's say Florida gets to come up to Pittsburgh, see the beautiful city. And they're like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. I I do think there is definitely a connection with that. And it's like kind of, we're kind of crossing borders here, but like I was talking, like Jeff Capel always says the same thing when he recruits, like he said that one year, whenever it was all zoom and it was like during the COVID year, like they struggled recruiting, but he's like, when, like if I can get kids on campus and show them this city and like take them through the tunnel and they, they see everything like, they're so much more impressed, uh, you know, seeing it in person. So I do think that helps Pitt. But, like, as it relates to football, I think a lot of it is, like, these kids train, like, as high school kids at the facility with, you know, their seven-on-seven coach and stuff like that. So it's, like, it, it, there's no awe to it. It's, like, oh, like, I, I've been working out here since I was 15 years old. So I think there is a little bit of that. So, like, all the stuff you hear from locals, it's, like, the kids also hear it, too. So I, I do think there is a sense that, they don't, I don't, I don't want to say they think Pitt's small time, but it's like, it, it doesn't like 
impress them as much just because I guess they kind of know what it is. Yeah, Steve Breston played on Heinz Field as a 17-year-old. Why why wouldn't he check out Michigan, you know, as an example? You know, <laughs> it loses its luster if you have if you have Whippeal kids who get the opportunity to play at Heinz Acrisher, you know, before they can get a driver's license sometimes if they're good enough, um, you know, it, it probably dulls the the sheen a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think there's just that general. It's like I, I know every Pitt fan wants all the local kids to stay home, and like it's kind of like at the same time, like even just talking to like Donovan McMillan and Derek Davis the other day, like I don't think there was like any like nefarious reasons. It was just like I wanted to get away for college. Like an SEC school offered me. Like there, I get that. Like I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, you want you want Pitt to recruit better at home, but at the same time, like on an individual basis, like a lot of people want to get away for college. Shouldn't leave the state and try something new. So like, I don't blame kids on like on that end at all. Yeah. And with the transfer portal, we're, we're starting to get to see more of these Whipple kids who leave coming back. You know, we, we got Dracovic. Um, apparently Derek Davis and Donovan McMillan were talking about their return to Pittsburgh on the field after that LSU Florida game. So we're starting to, finally see a boomerang effect because the transfer portal allows these kids to reevaluate their decisions. Um, but it begs a really good question uh, from the pre-portal era, one that we were discussing on Twitter the other day. What Whippeal kids do you think missed out the most by not staying home and, you know, chasing the luster of an SEC program or something else? I mean, I th- the, the classic case is like the, the number one has to be Robert Foster. Absolutely. No I mean, question. I, I, no question. Like it just didn't work out for him at Alabama, but you saw like he caught on in the NFL a little bit. So he was like really talented, but if, you know, if he was at Pitt, like he would have been featured a lot. He would have been a, starting as a freshman, all, all the things that Tyler Boyd got to do, he would have been able to do. So I think he's like the classic number one of anyone that left town that shouldn't have, it was probably him. Yeah, I remember every year on the SEC Network, I'd tune into the Alabama spring game, and he'd have like three catches for like 65 yards. They'd be like, oh, is this the year? And it wouldn't be the year. But all the Pitt fans would get together and say, see, you could be doing that on Saturdays if he was a Pitt. <laughs> yeah, he's still like kind of like, again, we're talking message boards. He's still kind of like a meme, like, oh, when's Robert Foster transferring back to Pitt? Like people still like to use that. Like, as a, like, it's, like a, it's like a running joke, and it probably will be forever. But, like, it, it really is true. Like, I, I really think he would have benefited a lot from staying at Pitt. Yeah, I mean, you, we saw what Tyler Boyd did at Pitt around the same time, uh, you know, and now he's potentially going to be playing in another Super Bowl this year. Uh, so, so Robert Foster is really, like, he's the go-to. He's the obvious one. Are, are there a couple others that you think really would have benefited from staying home? Um. Like I thought of some like that would be fun. I guess not necessarily like it's not like their their career didn't work out. In fact, like they really did. But like the one the one like that really like stuck out to me was like uh, Gronk went to Woodland Hills for one year. Like, can you imagine if he instead of going to Arizona, he came to Pitt? Like, how much of like a cult hero Rob Gronkowski would be? Like, as a former <laughs> Pitt Panther, like he he has he has the last name, he has the personality. Like, people from Pittsburgh would love him if he would have went to Pitt. 
there's no pool parties at Pitt. So the, yeah. I think the chances of getting Gronk were, were out the window. But I agree that would have been fun. I was thinking another one that someone mentioned on Twitter was uh, Terrell Pryor, but for basketball. Yeah, I mean, people forget, like, he was committed to Pitt for basketball. And, like, that is, like, it's kind of incredible to think about. But, like, if you go back and watch him, he was awesome at basketball. And, like, he was – I think he's a year older than me. And, like, my team was in the playoffs. Like, we were, like, one game away from playing. It didn't work out. But, like, we all just wanted to see it. Like, it was – like, I don't remember a Western, like, Pennsylvania athlete that was truly, like, a phenom celebrity, like – like he, the dude would go to Kennywood and like, there'd be like articles in the paper. Like he was like an absolute celebrity, like a, like a brawny, like it was, it was truly incredible. And it was kind of before like the social media age, like it was just, it, he was just such a big deal. But it, it always felt this way to me. And, and, you know, you probably know a little bit better. Uh, he felt like the first recruit that like really milked the recruitment cycle for everything it was worth in in terms of notoriety and and all the cool things that come along with the recruiting process oh absolutely and like he didn't sign on signing day like that was another thing like he had like he like his family hired charlie bash to like help manage his recruitment like he was just different and like you know most quarterbacks they commit early because they're the foundation of the class and that they rushed to get their spots. Like every school in the country was still willing, like you could take as long as you want. And like, I don't like that just doesn't happen anymore. He was just so unique and it was, it was just different for a Western Pennsylvania kid. Yeah. I, he, he had that press conference to announce that he wasn't announcing. Yeah. Very it, normal part of the recruitment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could do whatever he wanted and schools were willing. They're like, all right, like take as much time as you need. Like, we still want you. Yeah, he was he was a really good one. Um, when we posed the question on Twitter, I think a lot of people said Lamont Wade was one. Um, guys, help me out. Who who else who else was brought up a lot? Uh, Drayvon Henry from Aliquippa was one I saw. He was a, he went to West Virginia. Um, just think he would have been an awesome DB because Pitt makes awesome DBs. Uh, Someone said still Robert Foster, even though we specifically said people other than Robert Foster. <laughs> um, yeah, those were, the, those were the good ones. Someone mentioned Herb Pope because they were like, if we're going to go basketball too, Herb Pope staying home would have been cool. Uh, Herb Pope had an awesome, pretty awesome college career. Um, but yeah, the, that was just kind of a, that Herb Pope Terrell Pryor era for local hoops. If we could have got some of those guys to come here, it was around the same time. I believe they were either the same class or a year apart, Terrell Pryor and Dewan Blair. So, like, imagine both those guys. Just adding Terrell Pryor to the team that went to the Elite Eight. Imagine trying to guard Sam Young and Terrell Pryor. Same court. You aren't doing it. You aren't doing it. Yeah, in the, in the perfect world, every single child born in Western Pennsylvania with, you know, a 412 area code uh, comes in place for Pitt. But uh, this is just what happens when you're in a very talent-rich area and you haven't won a national championship in 50 years. See, I'm going to – I just thought of another one. Like, I'm going way back here. And, um, like, it was, like, right at the end of the Walt Harris era. He had Anthony Morelli and – 
Andrew Johnson. Like they were, it was a five-star quarterback, four-star running back. Everyone was talking. It was like, this is going to be, but neither one of them did anything in college. So I guess it didn't really like Borelli actually played a lot for Penn state. It wasn't really good, but like he was committed to Pitt at a time. Like that was a big deal. Everyone thought he was the next Marino. It didn't work out, but I don't know if they really missed much with him either. And maybe if Anthony Morelli went to Pitt, he wouldn't have gotten his head dribbled like a basketball by Allen Branch of Michigan that one year. That I don't know if that officially ended his productive football career, but I don't think he was ever the same after that. No. <laughs> Andrew Johnson, he was a North Hills guy. That he right? was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, was he committed to Pitt at any point, Jim, or was he just – he just kind of spurned Pitt for, for the U. Oh, no, he was definitely – they were both committed to Pitt. Okay. And like, like, yeah, the, the coaching change happened, and, like, that was it. Like, I, I kind of forget, like, the exact – what went down. But, yeah, like, both of them were committed to Pitt. Everyone thought it was a big deal, and it just didn't work out. Oh, could you imagine the message boards if we lost a five-star and a four-star in the same class to Penn both State and Miami? Oh, Thank, thank God that sort of thing was not popularized around then because, Jim, you'd have your work cut out for you. That would have been a long day. Week. Month. <laughs> well, let's hope that Pitt can, you know, kind of fix whatever has been ailing them uh, the past couple years with with attracting local talent. You know, obviously they... They had a good class with uh, Nakai Johnson and Elliot Donald and, and Dayon Hayes. But, you know, hopefully uh, seeing all these kids return to Pittsburgh and hopefully, fingers crossed, be stars could be very attractive to Whippeal kids going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that would be huge. And like I, I, like MJ Devonshire is like kind of the, like, I mm-hmm. think he's, he's poised for a big season and Maybe if someone like McMillan steps in, Jerkovic has a good year. So, I, I mean, recruiting goes in cycles. So, like, there's a way to, like, kind of flip the script with the local kids. And I, I think just having success as a local kid for Pitt would, would do that. You should trademark flip the script and sell uh, the rights to it to Narduzzi in the athletic department so they can use it for recruiting. And just more NIL money. I was I was actually just going to say, and and – I'm calling a timeout on it, Jim. We are trademarking this. Jim isn't allowed to. Uh, we need a we need a name for the the Whippeal kids that go to an SEC school, change their mind, and come back to Pitt. And I was going to go with boomerangs, but flip the script is better and put it all in script letters. Trademark it. Let's start printing the T-shirts, Jim. You cannot have that. That is our intellectual property. It's, I'm on your podcast. I I have no, I don't think I have any legal rights to this. I'm not a lawyer, so I I don't really know. Just had to make it very clear. (laughs) I'm looking up uh, any any legal precedent, but now, yeah, that's, flip the script's a good one. I can't believe we haven't thought of that yet. Awesome. Well, um, I think we have, picked your brain enough on the future of pit basketball, football, and uh, the best way to get yourself off of the lair when uh, things are cycling or, uh, you know, vortexing into madness. 
we, we really appreciate your time. Um, we love talking to people who clearly, well, you can't say you love Pitt because you have to stay non-partial, but we know. Um, we love talking to people who love talking about Pitt as much as we do. So thank you so much for your time. And um, listeners, if you are not yet subscribed to Panther Lair, you are not a true Pitt fan. Yeah, guys, this was a lot of fun. I, I really, I, I'm really glad we did this, and uh, you know, hopefully, we can do it again sometime. Oh, you're always welcome back. You and you and Chris have lifetime passes. Ah, that's that's a nice little perk here. Yeah, we'll 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 print them, and you <clears> can get that and a flip the script T-shirt. Maybe maybe a coffee mug for the next one. Oh yeah, do we have any of the any of the please win mugs lying around? I know you got one in that cupboard down there, so. The laptop, I can't get up and get it. But yeah, yeah, we'll 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 work on a package for for you guys. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jim, and uh, enjoy your Sunday and hail to pit. Thanks, guys. Thank you again to Jim for joining us. Uh, love talking with him. Uh, love getting his insights. Uh, great show today, boys. Ton of momentum going into this week. Uh, game on Tuesday or Wednesday against UNC, Dylan? Wednesday. Big game against Wednesday. The schedule kind of evens out a little bit after that. Uh, uh, no game Saturday, so we get to give our hearts a little bit of a break. But before we go, I need you guys to hit me with your closing thoughts. Squid? I'm going to keep them on basketball-related. Pitt doesn't shoot too many threes. I think old people just don't realize that that's how basketball is played in the year 2023. Teams shoot threes. If you're good at making threes, you're probably good. So don't cry whenever Pitt shoots 25 threes next game. And if you make yeah. 50% of them that you're not shooting, no number you're shooting is too many. I was going to say, if you're making 50%, you can shoot as many threes as you want. Take 100 if we're going to hit 50 of them. Um, my closing thought, Kalaja Kansi getting well-deserved appreciation. Uh, Mel Kuyper put him at number 10 in his most recent mock draft. And because of that, the NFL draft Twitter nerds are now grinding the tape and are freaking out watching Kalaja Kansi film. So he'll have some momentum uh, running on up to the draft. He's probably going to test insane at the combine. Everyone's going to say he's undersized, he's undersized. Doesn't matter. Watch the film, watch the tape. Kalaja Kansi, dog. Yeah, I would recommend all of our listeners to search Kalaja Kansi on Twitter right now and just scroll the videos because there's all these people doing their breakdowns and his film was just hilarious. Yeah, it's really weird uh, that the consensus All-American is a good football player and that uh, people needed to have an epiphany about it months after the football season that he absolutely dominated start to finish. Um, draft analyst Twitter is weird. Draft analysts are weird. This is why they are not working in front offices. Um, so good on Cansey. Hope to see him taken in the first round. Uh, my final thought, if any of the loyal sons out there, uh, have like a foolproof mouse wrangling 
strategy or like a, like a trap that you swear by slide into our DMs because the Loyal Suns headquarters, it's not like we aren't being overrun, but there's enough of them. And, you know, the, the traps are kind of doing their job a little bit, um, trying to figure out what bait to use. Just, we, we, we could use your help. If you if you have any expertise on the topic, we could use a little bit of help, right, Dylan? Yeah, let us know, please. Have you considered right, buying a few cats? No, just, no, stop. Just you babysit have- a cat for the weekend, and it'll just send a message to the mice, like, "Oh yeah, you, you think you found a nice home? Well, I got a cat, so find a new one." A rental cat has been considered. It, a rental cat has been considered. Um, we we just kind of haven't figured out the logistics of that yet. Um, my worry is that uh, certain people who plan to move into my home in the next year uh, will then take that as, oh, well, we, we need one full time. And I, I don't think I can, I, I don't want them to get used to having a cat around the house. It, it would be a problem. But yeah, if you have any suggestions outside of buying my girlfriend a cat, to help get rid of these mice, please. Our DMs are open. Our email is uh, loyalsonsemail at gmail.com because someone had the loyalsons at gmail.com for some reason. <laughs> I was actually curious why we added the email in our in our name. But... Yeah, right. I, I don't love it. It was the next best option. Anyway, thank you everyone for tuning in. And as always... Hail, loyal sons of Pittsburgh.